That was beautiful, Pastor Mark and Angela. Thank you. I don't know about you, but that gave me goosebumps. Amen? God is good. Our speaker today, Dr. Elizabeth Talbot, is the speaker and director for the Jesus 101 Biblical Institute. And that's a media ministry of the North American Division of Seventh-day Adventists. And she's an author and been on TV and social media around the world. And you can read some of this in your, your bulletin about Dr. Talbot. But some things you may not know about Dr. Talbot is that she was born in Argentina to the home of Adventist missionaries. And since her early childhood, her parents instilled in her the love of Jesus. And she, she even as a child envisioned preaching and teaching as she gathered her dolls as an audience. And so that, that's good practice. After completing her bachelor's in music education, she went on to work in the business world for many years also, and she earned a master's degree in organizational behavior. She was invited to become a full-time pastor, which she saw as God's calling in her life. She earned a master's degree in biblical studies and subsequently her PhD. Eventually, she became a senior pastor and uh, for several years and an adjunct biblical studies professor also. She has enjoyed evangelism in many forms and in many creative venues and now leads the Jesus 101 media ministry. But the most important thing you need to understand about Dr. Talbot is her main identity is her passion for the good news of Jesus Christ. And she says, it's like fire in my bones. And as you'll hear today, she means it. So Dr. Talbot, join us, if you will. I'd like to have a word of prayer with you. Father in heaven, I lift up Dr. Talbot this morning as she prepares to break the bread of life, to talk about and share Jesus, the good news. So we ask that you fill her with your spirit. Open our hearts also to hear what you have us to hear today and to respond in a way that would bring glory to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It is my privilege to be here with you. I'm going to start by telling you a story that my father used to tell when I was a little girl. He was an evangelist. We used to travel all over and move every six months. But this particular story he used to tell always gripped me. It was the story of a boy who had a hero, and this hero always was winning. The hero was triumphant, and he always won against the villain, the evil villain. So he always, he always bought all the books, all the magazines, everything that had to do with this hero, because this hero always won. Except that this last book was different. And I remember as a four-year-old being there in the church waiting for my father to continue the story. I had heard the story many times. I knew the ending, but I loved the story. And he went on to say this last book was different. He, he had bought this book, and in this book, the hero seemed to be losing. Every time he faced the villain, his hero seemed to be on the floor, being punched and kicked. And this kid said, something's wrong with this book. My hero has to win. So by the middle of the first chapter, the boy can't take it anymore. Stops reading and goes to the very end of the book. The last page to see how that story ended. And that's where he found out that his hero actually won. That he won, was triumphant against the evil villain. So now he could go back and read the rest of the book. Because now he already knew how it ended. And every time the villain seemed to be winning, he would speak out loud to the villain. And he would say, if you just knew what I know. 
If you just knew what I know, I know my hero wins. We have been given the last chapter of the book. We know how it ends. And Jesus wins. Some of you might remember the devotional I wrote for 2020 for NAD, Jesus wins. And yes, we know how it ends. And Jesus wins. And so we are given assurance for times like these. We are going to be together every morning at this time. And I ask you to please bring your Bible because we're going to go deeply into the scriptures every time. And we are going to study aspects of the good news every morning at the beginning of the topic. And then we will analyze the scripture passage for that angle of the gospel. This morning, before we start the narratives that we are going to study, I decided it was a good time to analyze what the word gospel means. I love the theme of this camp meeting. The gospel changes everything. But what is the gospel? So many people call the gospel so many things. And actually the gospel is something very specific. And so today we're going to start by learning that. So let's start with the first slide. We only have two slides today because the rest will be props. And I'm going to put those props in that chair over there. But the first slide is simply Matthew. When we are told, if we can put the first slide, please, that the gospel must be preached. And then the, L, the end will come. It's interesting because when you read Matthew 24, it says that we will have earthquakes and pestilences and pandemics and all of that. And then it says, but it's not yet the end. In contrast to that, we have verse 14 that says, the gospel will be preached and then it's the end. So the pandemics, the earthquakes, the hunger, all of that is not yet the end, it's the beginning of birth pangs, said Jesus. But when the gospel gets to be preached in the whole world, then it's the end. Then the end will come. And so what is the gospel? Because Jesus says the gospel has to be preached. It's not that we need a lot of preachers to just be preaching. We need a lot of preachers and a lot of lay people to be preaching the gospel particularly. And so what is the gospel? Well, we're going to learn today where this word comes from. Because before Paul and the gospel writers chose this word for the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was a background to this word. It was used in the secular world. And I think it's very important that you know what it was used for in order for us to understand what the gospel is. So, second slide. You might want to write this one down. Um, gospel in Greek is the word euangelion. It's the exact word that we use in Spanish, evangelio, for gospel. So this is the Greek word, euangelion. And it's divided in two parts, this word euangelion. U in Greek means good. And angelion means message or news. This is where we get the word angel, angel, Angelos, because that's a messenger, right? So, angelion, good news, good news. And you are wondering why in English we say gospel. It's because originally, angelion in, in, in English was God spell. It was good news, God spell. And then the English word contracted and we ended up with gospel. But originally was God spell, good news. And this is linguistically where it comes from, the word gospel, good news. But I want to tell you what it meant in the secular world. And you're going to love this. In the biblical world, <clears throat> when 
a king had to fight another king, they left the city because the cities were very small. The cities were fortified. They were walled cities. So the kings came out to fight outside of the city. And then everybody was waiting on top of the walls to hear news if their king had won or if their king had lost. If their king had lost, they would be slaves or killed by the new king. But if their king had won, then it was good news and they were free because their king had won. Well, this is the most amazing part. The messengers that came from the battlefield and it was good news, our king has won, they would come yelling this word. Evangelion, Evangelion, our king has won. That's the background of the word gospel. Our king has won. And this was so amazing about the good news. It's a cry of victory. Imagine, if you please, the people in the city waiting for good news and the messenger coming and, and they would gallop in a different way on their horse or they would run in a different way so people could see the good news before they heard them. Good news. Evangelion in Greek. Bashar in Hebrew. Good news. Our king has won. So when you're preaching the gospel, you're preaching that Christ has already won our salvation. You are not preaching the possibility. Because see, the gospel of Jesus Christ has happened already 2,000 years ago. What the Holy Spirit does in us and through us is not the gospel. It's an overflow of the gospel and it's done for his glory and to bring people to his kingdom. Whatever the Holy Spirit is going to do in you and through you is an overflow of the gospel to bring people to his kingdom. But it's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news that our king has already won. Do you see the difference? The gospel started two years, it happened 2,000 years ago. And it's not the possibility of salvation. It's the assurance of salvation. That's why the gospel changes everything. Because if you believe in the Son, it doesn't say you might be saved. It says you shall, you will be saved. And there is a pseudo-gospel out there some people preach. They said, if you have the Son, you might be saved. But this is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that when you submit to this King and He becomes your Savior, you live with the assurance of salvation. One more thing. The gospel is good news, not good advice. My friend Ty Gibson always says that. The Bible is good to give advice. The Bible is good to exhort. The Bible is good for many things. But when you preach the gospel, you are preaching good news. Our king has won on our behalf. And therefore, you live with assurance because salvation does not depend on you. It depends on what he has already done. So that's the good news of the gospel. It's actually a victory cry from the battlefield that announces that our king has won for us and therefore we are free. I want to show you two places where this is used with this context in the Bible and then we will go to where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 52. You know this verse very well, <clears throat> but I want to tell you how it uses the word euangelion in the Greek Old Testament. So for that, I want to tell you two things. You know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, right? But 200 years before Jesus was born, the Hebrew text was translated into Greek because the Jews had dispersed all over and they needed a Greek version of the scriptures. 
So that Greek version is called the Septuagint. You don't need to remember that. But of course, we have a Greek version of the Old Testament that the New Testament writers, when they wrote in Hebrew, they're quoting the Old Testament in Hebrew. 90% of the time, they're quoting the Septuagint, not the Hebrew Old Testament, because they're written, they're writing in Greek, therefore they quote the Greek Old Testament. So there are several places where the word gospel, euangelion, is used in the Septuagint. But this one is very known to you, and it's the context that Aisha spoke to you about. The messengers that come from the battlefield with the good news that our king has won. Isaiah 52, 7. And I'll point out to you where the, the word euangelion is twice in this verse. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings... Evangelion, that's where the word is, who brings the evangelion, the good news, who announces peace, who brings evangelion, again in the Greek Old Testament, who brings evangelion of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This is the context of the word that I just told you about. How wonderful the messengers that come with the incredible news that our king has won. So we have the word evangelion twice in that verse. But perhaps the surprise that you will have today is how this verse relates to Revelation 14. So please go to Revelation 14. Revelation 14 is a big chapter for us in our church because it has the three angels' messages. We usually read Revelation 14 starting on verse 6 on where it says, I saw another angel flying in the mid-heaven having the eternal euangelion, the eternal gospel, the eternal good news. But most people don't start at the beginning of the chapter, which is a problem because then you don't have the context of what these messengers are announcing, and therefore we call many things the gospel. But chapter 14, verse 1, starts with the Lamb now standing on Zion. We just read in Isaiah 52, 7, how lovely are the messengers that bring good news and say to Zion, your God reigns. Well, the only place in the whole book of Revelation where the Lamb is standing now on Zion, which means that it's now reigning on Zion, the only place that Zion is mentioned in the whole book of Revelation is Revelation 14, 1. And now this chapter starts with the Lamb standing reigning on Zion, the place of the deliverance of God's people in the Bible. The Lamb is standing on Zion, and around the Lamb are the 144,000. Everybody's singing because he has been victorious. And when, when John sees this, God says, but don't worry, I'm sending three messengers with the good news to let the world know that the lamb wins. And those are the three angels' messages. So usually this is preached without the context that now the lamb is reigning on Zion and when he sees this and all the redeemed around the lamb, God says, don't worry, three messengers are coming from the battlefield with the cry that the king has won. And the three angels' messages sometimes have been made so difficult that we don't understand what they are. The first angel says, the creator God has won. Worship him. The second angel says, the other power lost. The third angel says, choose the one who wins. Those are the three angels' messages. Because they come in the context of the good news our king has won and is reigning on Zion. So... For those of you that are writing, I'll repeat those three angels' messages. <laughs> the first angel says, the creator God has won this battle. Worship him. The second angel says, the other power that opposed him has lost. Babylon is down. 
The third angel says, choose the one who wins. Those are the three angels' messages. So now that you understand that the good news is not the probability that if you behave and do everything all right, you will be saved. It's not good advice, even though all that, the good advice is in the Bible. The gospel, the word gospel, is the victory cry from the battlefield that is brought by the messengers that say, your king has already won on your behalf. So, it changes everything. Because it's no longer the possibility of salvation. It's not the probability of salvation, but it's the assurance that someone has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And therefore, is the good news that Jesus has won the battle 2,000 years ago. Is that clear? Okay. Once you get that, then it changes everything. And today we're studying how we go from fear to assurance because of that. We no longer have the anxiety of, will we be saved? What happens in the judgment? What if this is the end of the world? What no, we don't have the fear or the anxiety because we already know how the story ends and Jesus wins and we are with him. So it goes from, we go from fear to assurance. And what's so interesting is that the book of Revelation has several portraits of Jesus for times like these so that we will not live in fear but in assurance because of the blood that he gave at the cross on our behalf. I have written little booklets on every subject that we are going to discuss this week. The ABC asked me to tell you that they brought them all. The one for this morning is called Revelation, the Fifth Gospel. I wrote it all on portraits of Jesus in the book of Revelation so that we may not be afraid. It's called Revelation, the fifth gospel. And we're going to see four portraits of Jesus in Revelation this morning. So please open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Now that you know what the word euangelion means, you know that even Greece, when they, they would win a battle, they would send what they called evangelists <laughs> to tell everybody that Greece had won a battle. That's why Paul and the gospel writers say, that's our word. When we need to bring the message of Jesus Christ and say, he has already won, we're going to use the word euangelion, the word gospel, because it's a victory cry. Of course, this is all very known to all the people in the New Testament, because this is the word that was used for the good news that the battle had been won. So, of course, it's used in, in Revelation 2, and it's Revelation, the eternal gospel that the messengers are bringing, the eternal good news. So let's open on Revelation chapter 1, and it's interesting because in the first verse, we get this word apocalypse that is used in many movies. In Spanish, Revelation is called apocalypsis because the word in Greek, that's the word in Greek, means unveiling, revealing something. Like if you, like if you have a picture and it's being unveiled in front of you, and you're going, wow. Is that what Jesus has won? Right? So the Gospels, the four Gospels already told us a lot about Jesus. But Revelation shows us what his triumph was able to do for the whole universe. And so Revelation is a multidimensional book. Sometimes we're in heaven. Sometimes we're on earth. Sometimes uh, we're in the past. Sometimes we're in the future. We call this a multidimensional book apocalyptic literature that shows us how incredible what Christ has done for the whole universe. So we have 16 worship scenes in the book of Revelation that are, that are worshiping the lamb that has won the battle between good and evil. And so this is the unveiling of that, wow, that incredible good news that is so big 
that we can go through times like these with this total assurance. And so we start, and I want to show you two verbs that are at the beginning of the book that we usually read them very fast, but they're very important. And then we go to the four portraits of Jesus that we're going to see this morning. Verse 5, Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the rulers of the king of the earth, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. I know that some of your versions say loved us, but that's a wrong translation. The Greek has a present continuous tense. The one who loves us and loves us and continues to love us. That's what it says there in verse 5. Who loves us and loves us and continues to love us. It's a present continuous tense. And then the second verb is in the past tense. And released us from our sins by his blood. So it's interesting, the contrast of these two verbs. The one who loves us and loves us and continues to love us, and the one who has already, 2,000 years ago, released us by his blood. Those two verbs introduce Jesus to us in the book of Revelation. Two realities. His continuous love and his accomplished deliverance at the cross. And then we get the first big portrait of Jesus in the book of Revelation. Verse 7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. And we get the first red letters in the book of Revelation there, for those that have red letters in your Bible. I am the, what? Alpha and Omega. Okay, so that's our first portrait of Jesus. Now, it's interesting because, because the revelator starts by saying, okay, I have a reality for you. Through his blood, that will be symbolized by this red cloth, through his blood, you have been already released. So he starts with this, ta-da, at the very beginning. You have been released by his blood. So now... Jesus starts giving us portraits of himself, and the first big one we get is, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. So, what is Alpha and Omega? Yeah, but what, what is, uh, yeah, I know, that's another verse that comes later. But, what, what, what? Okay, so Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is? The last letter of the Greek alphabet. So if Jesus were talking to us today, what would he say? I am the? Okay, so that's the first portrait of Jesus that we have. I am the A and the Z. Very important portrait because your whole reality is, is included. I challenge you to find a problem that is not between the letters A and Z. Because you won't find it. Because this is an all-encompassing picture of Jesus. It's not just the beginning and the end. It's the A to the Z. So it includes C for cancer, D for divorce, P for pandemic, F for financial trouble. Jesus says, I'm your whole alphabet from beginning to end. There's nothing you go through that I'm not going to be there for you. So that's the way Revelation opens. <laughs> I am the A and the Z, says Jesus. I was there at the beginning. I will be there at the end. But everything you go through is covered by the whole alphabet because I'm the whole thing. Woo! Yeah, woohoo! I, I, those of you that follow my ministry, you know that we always say woohoo as an as a expression of the joy of our salvation. We have someone that gives us the assurance of his presence at all times. And he covers every letter in between A and Z. And this notion will be repeated many times in the book of Revelation. So that if you got a bad report that says you have cancer, you may know that his presence with you covers that period of your time. 
If you have gone through a, a, a terrible time during the pandemic, you know, my husband almost died this year with COVID. Some of you follow that on Facebook. Um, he spent a long time in the hospital, but also his whole neurological system shut down. And we didn't know if he would live or die. And one day he couldn't talk anymore. He couldn't walk anymore. He couldn't chew his food. He couldn't swallow it, which he could do all those things before he went to the hospital. So we didn't know. Well, the doctor says, we're hoping that once he goes back home and is there for a month or, or so, three weeks or four weeks, he'll recover some of that. But we don't know because his oxygen was very low with COVID and we don't know how the brain was affected. So I would go home every night, not long ago, not knowing if he would live or die because that's not one of the assurances that we have in the Bible as far as this life but I did have an assurance that it is in the Bible and that Christ gives me through the gospel and is that I will not go through anything without him. That his presence will be with him, with my husband. And the other assurance I have is that if my husband did pass away, he would be saved because I, he believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we live with the assurance of salvation. So those were the two assurances that I had at all times with me every night as I went home from the hospital, that I knew that if my husband passed away, he would be saved, and I knew that the God who is A to Z was with me at all times. <clears throat> God decided to do what I call a resurrection miracle with my husband, <clears throat> and he recovered everything he had lost with COVID. And it was quite a miracle to watch him grab a fork again and be able to swallow food again and to start talking and the first few steps, the whole thing was a miracle. I know that not everybody's story ended that way, but I do know that everybody's story has this God that is from A to Z. So that's the first portrait. And it's interesting, this portrait gets repeated over and over. <clears throat> Go to verse 18. You know, this whole book was written so that you would not be afraid because you have the assurances that the gospel gives. The gospel happened 2,000 years ago, but it overflows with assurance for the year 2022 because we have assurances that come with the gospel. Verse 17, let's read it, Revelation 1, 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid, do not be afraid. Somebody has counted 365 times of don't fear in the Bible. Do not be afraid, and here we have it. I am the first and the last. Different words than Alpha and Omega, same concept. I'm the first and the last. And you know what's interesting? The word last is the word eschatos, where we get the word eschatology. Many of you have learned and have heard seminars on eschatology. Eschatology is the last day events. We study the last days. And Jesus says, don't talk about eschatology unless you talk about me because I am the eschatos. I'm the last. So if you talk about eschatology without talking about me, says Jesus, you're going to be afraid. But if you talk about eschatology, but you talk about the first and the eschatos, who is me, then you won't be afraid, says Jesus. Because I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 18, I'm the living one and I was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and of Hades. This is a very personal thing for me. I lost my parents in a very short period of time. Both of them had cancer, three different types of cancer, each of them. And they battled it for 15 years and they died uh, two years apart. And I'm an only child, I don't have any siblings. And so when they died, it was like my whole family of origin kind of went away. And when I buried my dad in the same place that my, my mom was already married, uh, buried, 
I brought a key, a big key, and I asked the cemetery for permission to put a key inside their tomb. And they wanted to know why I wanted to put a key there. I said, because Jesus said that he has the keys of death. So I'm going to put a key in here as I'm placing my dad, my second parent to die, because I know that Jesus will open this tomb and they will be raised from the dead. And because I'm so sure of that, I want Jesus to find a key in there because I believed that he would reopen this tomb to bring them back to life. So inside my parents' tomb, there is a big key. It's a sign of faith that I know Jesus will open that tomb because he is the A and the Z, the beginning and the end, the first and the eschatos. And that's the first portrait of Jesus. The second portrait of Jesus that I want to tell you about <clears throat> is in Revelation 4 and 5. This is, the, this is a very interesting portrait because it tells us why you can live with assurance of salvation. Chapter 4 is a beautiful scene. It's a worship scene. It's, a, it's the first huge worship scene of the 16 in the book of Revelation. Of the 16 worship scenes, this is the first one. And Revelation 4 is the worship to the Creator who created everything. But Revelation 5 is the desperation that there is this, this book, the whole history of humankind, and nobody can open it. Nobody's worthy to open this book and to, to break the seals. And, and the seer, John, starts weeping. He, he's desperate because nobody can open it. Then he says on verse 4, Revelation 5, 4, Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book and to look into it. And then verse 5, the good news come. Stop weeping, said one of the elders. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. You know that Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, right? The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome. That's the good news. It is a done deal. This is how we spell salvation, D-O-N-E. He has overcome. As to open the book and its seven seals. So, so John wants to see this lion, this mighty lion. So now I'm going to stop and tell you something. There is a pattern in the book of Revelation called hear, then see. It's a very important pattern because John hears a lot of things and when he turns to see what he has heard, he sees something else that expands what he has heard. This is very important, very important because many times he hears, for example, in chapter one, he hears a voice, then he turns to see and he sees the first vision of the Son of Man. It's very important because in chapter 7, he hears the number of the redeemed, 144,000, and he turns to see, and he sees a multitude that no one can count. So it's very important that you know that he hears something, and then he turns to see, and he sees expanded view of what he has heard. Okay, so now you know. He hears that the lion from the tribe of Judah has overcome when he turns to see this lion, mighty lion that has triumphed. What does he see? Verse 6, I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb. The lamb is now standing, it says. A lamb standing as if slain. It has been slain, but it now is very much alive. It's standing and is the one that has overcome. And then we have this incredible song of the redeemed that you see here, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break the seals, for you were slain and purchased past tense, for God, with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. 
and so on. So this is the second portrait. It's this mighty lion that had to become a lamb in order to overcome. First, assurance of his presence. Second, assurance of redemption. He has purchased you with his blood. There's many portraits in the book of Revelation. The third one that I want to take you to is Revelation 19. Again, in that little booklet, Revelation, the fifth gospel, you have several of these portraits of Jesus that keep giving us assurance, assurance, assurance for times like these. The third one that I will talk to you today, there's many more, is the bridegroom. The bridegroom that comes back for the bride, but the bride is shameful. So starting on, on, on chapter 7, we wash our robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so in chapter 19 comes the wedding because the bridegroom refused to leave his bride here even though his bride had not been faithful and was not this wonderful bride that you want to be for your husband when you get married. And that's why God had told the prophet Hosea, go marry an adulterous bride and love her. Because this is what God was going to do with us. He was going to cover us with his righteousness. And so Revelation chapter 19, the wedding has come and the, and the husband brings the clothing for the bride. And this is where many people make a mistake here. Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Verse 8. It was given to her. Please circle that verb. She didn't have the clothing for the wedding. It was given to her. It is a gift to appear in front of God like if you have never sinned. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, and now God sees her as if she was righteous. Verse 9, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then if you continue reading, then Jesus appears. Everybody's wearing white in that picture that follows. Even the horse is white. The angels are white. The people are white. But Jesus is wearing something different. Verse 13, he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's what it cost for us to be wearing the white for the marriage. It cost his blood. His blood is present in every portrait, every portrait in the book of Revelation. This is the assurance of his presence with us. This is the assurance of redemption. This is the assurance of his faithfulness to cover his bride. And one more. Revelation 19, uh, 21, Revelation 21 is very known, especially during pandemic, because we all want, we all want the new world that there will have no more death, pain, suffering. So we read all the way to verse 4 of chapter 21 over and over again. Starting on verse 1, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy City, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice, and this loud voice repeats the covenantal phrase we heard throughout the whole Bible. I will be their God, they will be my people. I will be their God, they will be my people. Because God refused to give up on us when we were kidnapped by the evil villain in chapter 3 of Genesis. 
And I heard a loud voice, verse 3, from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. But we need to continue reading all the way to verse 7 to understand this. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. That's how we'll spell salvation. D-O-N-E. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Verse 7. He who overcomes, which in the book of Revelation means believes in the Lamb until the end, that's how they overcome, believing in the Lamb until the end, will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Do you remember the day you saw your child for the first time? And you placed this child in your hands and you made this immediate covenant that whatever this baby needed, you would do for them. Well, this is the way God feels about you. The only divine dialogue that we have in all creation is when the Godhead got together back in Genesis 1 and said, let us make mankind in our own image. And we will talk more about that this week. But then the, the, the evil kidnapper comes along and takes away the children of God and deceives them. And God makes a covenant that is so strong that our English words don't capture what the Hebrew says in Genesis 3.15. It says, I will crush your head, he says to the evil villain that took them. Yes, you will hurt us on the heel, but I will crush your head. And I'm coming back for my children. I'm not going to leave them here. And verse 7 of Revelation 21 is that hug that has been waiting thousands of years. He who believes in the Lamb until the end, I will be their God and they will be my child. So you have, through his blood, the assurance of his presence, the assurance of redemption, the assurance of his faithfulness as a groom who covers the bride, and the assurance of his love as a parent with a child. I wanted you to experience one of these worship scenes today. If you have never done this, you will never forget it because we're going to do the whole worship scene of Revelation 4 and 5, word by word from the Bible, so that you may see what these worship scenes mean when you go from fear to assurance because of the blood of Jesus. And we're going to do it in an experiential way, is word by word the Bible. There's nothing added in the narrative that is not in the Bible. If you don't have one, please get one. We have ushers in the back. Raise your hand if you're missing. And I always have them in, I also have them in the front. You can come and get some. You don't want to miss this. You want to participate. It's really an amazing experience. Uh, somebody can help me. Thank you. There's two hands over here. Thank you so much. Three. This is Revelation 4 and 5 word by word. So I need some volunteers to help me with some of the specific voices here. Um, the first one is where it says voice in the second paragraph. Who wants to be that voice? Can I see a hand that wants to be the voice? Do you want to be the voice? Okay. I need you to come up here and pick one of these mics and put it in front of you so people can see you. So turn it around like this, okay? All right, so you're going to be the voice. I need four people to be the four living creatures. Very fast, four people, please. Come up to one of these. Thank you. I, 
could you turn them around? There you go. Over here, four living creatures over here. <laughs> I, need, I need you closer to me, four living creatures. Can you bring the creature <laughs> over here? I want you to on this mic. Four people on this mic to be the living creatures. Thank you. You need the paper, though. Um, it's right here. It's right here. You can grab one right here. Oops, there's no more. Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, we need more copies, please, please, here. We don't want anybody to miss it. Okay, so here are the four living creatures. I need one more creature here, please. Real fast, real fast. Please, please, please. Thank you. I have one coming here. Then I need the strong angel at the bottom of the first page. Who wants to be the strong angel? Okay. Um, Pastor, could you bring the mic all the way over there? Thank you. So the strong angel, who was going to be the strong angel over here? I had a strong angel raise her hand over here. Okay. I need the strong angel to come up. Are you the strong angel or which one are you? Oh, the living creatures are over there. All right. Who was going to be the strong angel? Please, somebody? Okay, please come up here. And you need a paper too. I need the bottom one says one elder. I need the one elder to be a man. Thank you. Come up. And you're going to be in the same microphone over here. So you know who you are, strong angel? Strong angel? <laughs> You know who you are, right? You're going to read the strong angel part. Mm -hmm. It's only one line. And one elder here, you're going to read the bottom part. Really loud. Because I want you to experience what these narratives look like, these worship scenes in heaven, the way they're written. How more and more people join and join and join. It's so beautiful. Okay, the 24 elders is all the men in the congregation. So where it says 24 elders, group one, you are, all the men are going to say what is there. You have more than one time. In the back, where it says angels, group two, that's going to be all the women. Where it says everyone, who is it going to be? Everyone. everyone. All right. And four living creatures, don't miss the amen at the end. Okay, there's one place where the four living creatures say, Amen. I'm going to pray that God will sanctify our imaginations. That for one moment, you can feel what it will be like to worship the Lamb because He has purchased our redemption. In this narrative, as you know, John goes from desperation because no one is worthy to participating in this vision, in this awesome song of praise, because one died and purchased us for God. So I'm going to pray, and then we will do this without stop. Is there any questions? Everybody knows? Okay, you're the voice? Yeah. The four living creatures, group one, all the men, the strong angel, the lady up here, really loud. One elder over here, the angels, group two, all the women. Let's pray. Dear Father, when we get to heaven, we will still will not understand how you left everything for us to fight on our behalf, to win on our behalf. We will forever give you our crowns because the only reason why we will be there is because of your blood that was spilled for us. May we today go from fear to assurance because the gospel changes everything. Sanctify our imaginations so that we may feel what we will feel when we're worshiping the Lamb for eternity. In Jesus' name. Amen. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like a sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, 
And I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he was, who was sitting was like a jasper stone, and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal, and in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying... Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy of the Lamb? I'm sorry. Who is worthy to open the book? Who is worthy of opening up the books and to break its seal? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah and root of David has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing, as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. When he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God. With your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the numbers of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them i heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Amen. Dear Father in heaven, 
may we never forget that the Lamb has changed everything. And we have the assurance of His presence, the assurance of redemption, the assurance of His faithfulness as the bridegroom, and the assurance of His love as a parent. Yes, the gospel, that cry of victory, changes everything. And may we today change from fear to assurance in the name of Him who purchased salvation for us. In the name of the Lamb that was slain, we pray. Amen. God bless you. See you tomorrow.